Carl and I just figured out the microphone issue. Uh, people have accused me of a lot of things over the years, but um, one of the things that, that I've noticed lately, uh, I, I, I do have a little bit of energy, it is true, um, but my cell phone, you know how you get those notifications that, you know, when there's 20% left, right? Who gets those all the time, probably before noon, a lot of you. Anyway, I'll get those, I'll get those, and I'll just be holding on to my phone or whatever else, and then I'll have 22%. And I'm like, how'd that happen? I'm, it doesn't like charge by itself, does it? Maybe I'm the one charging it. I don't know. Um, so maybe that's what happened with the microphone and the feedback. And who knows? Like I said, we just tested that, and that did not happen. There was one other thing I wanted to tell you about. Uh, we'll start making a big, big deal of it next week. But in five Sundays, so five Sundays from today, I believe it is Sunday, September 20th. Maybe uh, it couldn't be more appropriate. Maybe it's never been more appropriate than what it is on that Sunday. Last year, we did this for the first time. We joined with thousands and tens of thousands of other churches across the country and even across the world in what is known as Back to Church Sunday. Do you think maybe something like that could be really, really appropriate for the times in which we are living for folks? So be in prayer about that, okay, as well. Be in prayer about that. We'll have a lot more information next week, and we'll have some things for you to distribute and hand out here in a few weeks as the time gets closer. But Sunday, September 20th, is Back to Church Sunday, all right? So please, please, please be lifting that up because that's a big deal. And this particular year could be an even bigger deal for a lot, a lot, a lot of people, all right? So here we go, new series, new series. Here's the goal. Let me tell you the goal of this series to start with, and then I'll begin to explain a little bit about it. Some of you have seen on social media uh, the pictures that we've created. You hopefully saw the slide as you came in. Here's the goal. The time in which we live right now, the things happening around us, this is our reality, Right? There's nothing that we can do about it. It's just kind of how it's happening to us right now. We get to choose how we deal with it, but what's happening, we really don't have a whole lot of control over. We pray, we hopefully are all praying, that this is not a permanent reality, right? We need it to go away. Like, literally, we are all ready for that, and God knows this. You've got to understand that God knows this, and God especially does not want His people to just be getting by during this time. He does not want us to simply exist and ride out this storm of life. That is never his goal for us, uh, us, his followers. He wants us to thrive during this time. He wants us to reach out like never, ever before to a world that is now even more confused, even more afraid, even more anxious, even more depressed than it's ever been. As you begin into the end of this year and next year and see the statistics of some of the mental health difficulties and things like that that have arisen in people's lives because of these times, you'll more fully understand that. And so as we were going through the last series, I was simply asking God, what on earth could we do? What, what is something that, that you could give me, God, that would give us a, a double-edged sword here? Something that we could definitely use to grow our faith. Something in the midst of these times that is very specific, that could help us grow, but at the same time, Something that maybe because we're all experiencing this, everybody on planet Earth virtually, but especially in our country, what, is there something we can use during this time to specifically reach out to people as well? So has both of those effects. Is there a way for this idea, not just to strengthen our faith, but also to enable us to reach out to others even better? Well, he gave me just such an idea. And I'm kind of excited about it, this idea of, of reaching out with his peace, with his hope, with his, his love to those around us in this crazy, crazy world. Because remember, they're all in the same boat that we are. The difference is 
They are in desperate need spiritually for somebody to throw a literal life preserver out to them and pull them in so they do not drown in this sea that we live in of fear and despair. And so here is what we came up with. We're excited about this idea. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take four of the, the symbols, if you will, that we've come to know. Uh, four of the, the rules, if you will, that we're having to play by. Um, even the hope that the world is now forcing upon us during this crisis. And we're going to turn these four things into something that we can use to strengthen our lives every day, to strengthen our walk with Christ every single day, and something specific that we can point others to and begin their walk with Christ. I love it when God can take the things of this world and give them to us in such a way where the world's saying this about or using it for this reason. He says, you know what, why don't we use that for my purpose instead? So here we go. What would you say, what would you say has become the symbol of our times right now? I don't think there's really a whole lot of debate here. Uh, I can look around and see it very easily, right? It's the mask, is it not? Is that not the symbol? Regardless of how all of this ends, the year 2020 will be marked by the mask, will it not? Many of you have never worn a mask in your entire life, ever, and yet here we are. Please note, this is a very important disclaimer. I am not here to debate. I am not here to argue. Please don't do so with me after the service. About the effectiveness, the necessity, the usefulness, the harm, or any other elements surrounding the mask debate, that's not what we're talking about. I just want to point out the elephant in the room, if you will. They are our reality, are they not? Love it or hate it, they are, for now, a part of our lives. Now, just for fun, let's take a side road. Masks aren't anything new. Most of you are aware of that, I would hope, okay? Now, I don't believe everything I read on the internet, but I found this fun website, literally called The History of Masks. I, want, I wonder how long that website has been around, right? I think it probably just got invented. Somebody had the rights to that URL, and somebody purchased it, and voila, in March, <laughs> it became The History of Masks, right? But here's the thing. They, this site claims, and, and I think it's fairly easily backed up, that masks have existed throughout basically all of human history. The earliest human civilizations, there are records and artifacts. Every tribe, every culture, every region, there are artifacts dating back nearly 7,000 years showing us different kinds of masks. What were they used for? Well, they were used for protection. They were used for warfare. They were used for disguise. They were used for entertainment. They were used for ritual practices, religious purposes. Many, many masks were associated with those religious or social Ceremonies had social significance concerning funeral customs, fertility rites, even the curing of disease. If you've ever been to a museum, you've undoubtedly seen a mask from some point in history, from somewhere around the world, have you not? Masks can be used to deceive, can they not? Absolutely. Masks can be used to enhance a person's appearance. For those that believe masks are child's play and oh, that's all for kids, I bet you've seen a superhero movie recently. So quit telling me they're for kids. You paid money to go watch grown people wear masks. So just keep that in mind, right? Let's be really honest. If you've ever been in a production of some kind, okay, or you've been in disguise for some reason, or even just dressed up, wearing a mask could be kind of fun. It really is kind of a fun Thing. But all of a sudden, masks have taken on a little bit different meaning, haven't they? And begun to stand for something else. I'm going to read for you a portion of a, a news column that I've found. I, I just want you to imagine where on earth do you think this news column is from as I read. I'll, I'll quote directly from it. It said this, 
Now, the face mask is worn for more than one reason. It permeates all socioeconomic divides. The mask has stirred emotion and evoked political commentary. To some, the mask has become the dividing line between competent and incompetent governments. More overtly, it has become the focal point for racist incidents in the United States and Canada and even in France, highlighting a deeply fractured cultural lines between the Eastern and Western civilizations. The mask, more than any other object, is the symbol of 2020, but it's a multifaceted one. It is one of provocation, one of deception, one of protection, and one of responsibility. I ask you, where do you think that possibly could have come from? Now, when I read it, I thought, you know, I could have easily read this in any American newspaper. I could have easily saw this on any American television news broadcast. But this is actually from a Taiwanese news source. Yes, the people of Taiwan, and actually it was, it was published in February. The people in Taiwan feel the exact same way on the other side of the world as we do. What's that tell you? It should tell you something very specific about humanity, is what it should tell you. The mask now, of course, has become political. It's a statement. It's said to be compassionate or necessary or essential. Those that don't wear a mask in public are, of course, judged by those who do, right? But for those of you that don't wear masks in public, guess what you're doing? You're judging everyone that has one on. You see, that is what we've created in our culture at the moment. Now that I've been able to get everybody riled up, regardless of which side of the issue you're on, which you've noticed, I've stayed in a very uncomfortable position firmly in the middle of the fence. Whichever side you're on, what I get to do is I get to focus this symbol like a laser in on God and how he can use it. Let's take this thing that the world has forced upon us and let's now use this thing that has created division and anger even within the body of Christ the believers, and let's turn it into an ongoing moment and movement that we can use to become a better witness for him, where we can now become more caring, more loving as individuals, instead of seeing a mask, and let's face it, we have to see the mask, everyone's wearing one, don't we? Instead of seeing the mask as we currently do, let's use it as a tool, a very specific tool to help build our faith. Now my guess is in some ways, some of you are already doing this and you don't even Realize it. Let me ask you a question. While wearing the mask, are you more or less likely to speak to people? Less. Now, there's different reasons. Some people find it difficult to speak with the mask on. Other people find it very difficult to hear with the mask on because it kind of muffles things, and it, it does make it difficult. I can understand both. So as a follower of Jesus, let's begin with this. Let's use our mask that we've got to wear as a, a reminder, if you will, to tame the thing that's behind it our mouth, our tongue, as a reminder to think before we speak. If we're going to limit our words because we have this thing on, why not make the ones that we choose to use bring glory and honor to God? Remember, God's word tells us in lots of different places that this is the hardest part of the body to control the tongue. The simplest passage of all comes from the book of Proverbs. 21, beginning of verse 23. Listen to this. Whoever keeps his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. <laughs> How many of you maybe should have been wearing masks your entire life, right? Yeah. Would have kept you out of a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble. It's true. If wearing a mask can help keep you out of trouble with your mouth, then amen, praise God, maybe a mask is a good thing. 
If you remember our studies from the book of James, chapter 3, the tongue, that small part of the body, has this incredible, incredible power for good or for evil. It can build up, it can destroy, it can praise, and it can curse. Which are we using it to do? The reality of what Jesus tells us in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil of his treasure, uh, evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The NASB says it this way at the end, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. What we say, though may not be what we mean, it's truly who we are. And maybe we just didn't mean to say it that way. It's a difficult thing. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So let's use these masks to begin to implement something our mamas probably tried to tell us a long, long time ago. If you don't have something good to say, don't say it at all. And as a reminder to think before we speak. The mask can literally act like a filter from our brains to the outside world and keep us from hurting our witness for Christ. Psalm 141.3, I think we need to make some masks and print this on the outside of it. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. God can literally literally use this symbol of our time in a way to help us be better trained in his ways, in his words. Why on earth is this important? Well, it's important because our words, probably as much as anything, represent Christ to others. Yes, absolutely, our actions do as well. And actions do speak as loud as words. But I tell you what, I don't care what your actions are. If your words are followed with, if your words that follow are something anti-Christ, those actions don't matter. So you've got to pair those two things together. We are talking with people that are searching in our times. They are searching for answers. They are scared. They are uncertain. Our words can bring them peace. Our words can bring them hope. Our words can lead them to the love of Jesus. Or our words can absolutely drive them further away from Christ. The symbol of the mask for a Christian could be to think and continually carefully pray about the words that we choose to use. The opportunity that God is giving us in this moment, in this time in history, to be a light in a very, very dark, dark place. Now, there's a lot of simple ways we can bring light into people's lives, but the problem is we can no longer do that by just simple facial expressions. As we come across people, many of you would do that. You would casually smile at people, kind of greet people with facial expressions and things like that, and, and it would bring joy to people's lives. But in case you haven't noticed, uh, my daughter and I were talking about this the other day. Anybody got your picture taken with a mask on lately? There's no emotion. Like, you can't tell what's going on behind that mask at all, which isn't always a bad thing, mind you. But still, you can't tell what's going on behind that mask. Your eyes share a little of the story, but your mouth kind of writes the book, if you will. We have an actual, we have to actually now reach out to people, of course not physically, that's next week, we got to keep our distance, but we got to reach out to people with our voice in order to communicate even the simplest of things. Here's the thing, some people are using this time, and I know some of you confessed that moments ago, to simply stop communicating with others completely. That is a terrible thing 
for a human. We were designed to be in a relationship with one another. We need interaction. And if you're doing it and you have family, you have friends, you might have faith, what about those who don't, who are putting on the mask and simply ceasing all communication with the outside world? Have you thought about what those people are going through? They need encouragement. We need encouragement. A kind word from a stranger or a friend means the world to people. More importantly, we need to be sharing the love of Jesus desperately with all the other mask-wearing citizens around us. And I guess, truth be known, there's a little anonymity to it. They may or may not be able to identify you fully with that mask on, and you'll get to share the love of Christ with them anyway. I want to take you to a very specific place in Scripture. So if you haven't got a Bible out yet or you want to use a new one, Acts chapter 9 is where we're headed. And we're going to a man who was wearing a mask of sorts. Now, it wasn't a literal blue surgical mask that so many of us have, or a pretty decorated, beautiful, wonderful mask that uh, uh, some of us have picked up even here at church. But he was definitely wearing a mask of sorts. We're going to a town called Damascus. Damascus is 136 miles from Jerusalem. If you've never studied the city of Damascus, I actually, in this study, began to do some research and looking into it. It is a fascinating city for lots and lot of, lots of reasons. Damascus is said to be the oldest continuously inhabited city on planet Earth. I want you to think about the ramifications of that. The oldest continuously inhabited city. There are artifacts and ruins and things from that place that date back through all, all of human history. Imagine that just for a moment. You could go to a place on this earth where literally humans have virtually always existed. Who, who walked through that town? Who lived there? I mean, if you do the numbers and you look at them, who could have possibly existed in that area? Everyone. I mean, it is an incredible, incredible thing if you're in to the historical side of the world, but it's just amazing. It blows my mind that you can go to a place that still exists where people have always been all the way back to the beginning. In Acts 9, we learn that there are a considerable number of Christians in the city of Damascus. Likely, these early believers were a part of a group that fled Jerusalem after the persecution of the church began. If you don't remember, Christianity had kind of grown and exploded right away after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost. Peter and John's preachings, the miracles, the growth that the church had, had undertook was just enormous. And it was so big that people were beginning to get worried, those in power, that, hey, we, we kind of need to, to slow this growth down a little bit, if not completely end it. And so they began imprisoning the disciples, but that didn't really have any effect on them, on, on slowing this Jesus movement in their culture. Enter a man named Saul. Saul, a Pharisee with a particular zeal, shall we say, for the law and the defense of it and the destruction of what was called the way, the way of Christ. He oversaw the very first real attempt to completely end the early church as he was the one holding the coats that day when Stephen was executed, the first Christian martyr. After that event, the church immediately scattered through all of the Middle East. One of those landing spots, and probably a pretty good one, would have been the city of Damascus. Not too far away, big enough that you could kind of hide there, if you will. So here he goes. Paul now, Saul at this point, is specifically going to Damascus to seek those Christians. Now, that's how we know there were Christians there. He went to the religious leaders, and he sought the authority, the paperwork, the documentation, 
to send him to Damascus to go and round up whoever he could find there that were followers of the way. So your story is set. Your stage is ready to go. Who is the mask-wearing individual in this story? Well, it's a man named Ananias. The fascinating thing about him is we don't know anything about him. We really, really don't. Jesus calls him a disciple when he talks with Saul on that road to Damascus. Paul later refers to him in Acts 22 this way. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Here's what we do know. Ever since Stephen's death, the church had kind of gone underground. They would have all been wearing a mask, if you will, of sorts. But here's the really cool thing. The mask they were wearing did not prevent them from spreading the gospel in any way. You see, they would have been living their lives in such a way that others would draw into the love of Jesus. Now, they likely weren't proclaiming their faith from the rooftops, but their simple everyday, ta- everyday lives, while hidden behind the mask, their identity a little bit, would have same time revealed the identity of Jesus to anyone who was willing to listen. So we're going to read the brief story of Ananias. Saul is en route to Damascus to go round up the Christians. On that way, Jesus, of course, makes himself completely available to Paul as he confronts Saul at that point in time on that road. He has blinded him. He tells Saul exactly who he is and what Saul is doing incorrectly. And that's where we enter the scene. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he is coming here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call upon your name, a.k.a. me, God. That's me he's coming to arrest. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he again got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days, it says, with the disciples in Damascus. Now, as I always remind you when we read a biblical account, don't take out the humanity of the situation. These are real people. This is a real event. This is a real conversation between Ananias and God. There were real human emotions, real human feelings associated with what was happening as this event began to unfold. Ananias had found out that Saul, the murderous persecutor of Christians, was on his way to Damascus with paperwork in hand to arrest anyone who was part of the way. Can you envision, as this news was received by the early church, all of their masks being pulled up just a little bit higher to hide behind when they heard the certainty of what was coming? as they begun to make plans of how can we continue to meet? How can we protect one another from this man? How can we continue to share this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ underground? 
Imagine as Ananias, a leader in this movement, how would he have been planning? And all of a sudden, it was interrupted by this vision. I don't think any of us really have the, 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 the potential to understand the gravity of the words that God just shared with Ananias. Ananias has now been forced by society to wear this mask to disguise his faith in Jesus in order to protect his life and enable him still to spread the gospel. It's a difficult time. And here comes God. Hey, Ananias, I got this guy. His name's Saul. He's from Tarsus. He's going to be just down the road from me. I just need you to go heal him. In the most nice way possible, imagine the emotion behind Ananias' reply. Uh, what? God, I, I, I'm listening. I get it. Who are you? Do you know this guy? Like, think about what he's asking to do. God, do you realize you're asking me to go and die? That's what's going through Ananias' mind. This isn't an option. If I go meet Saul, I've heard what he's done. They know who Stephen was. They might have known him personally. And now, God, you're asking me to go and confront this guy? (laughs) Ah, We're the church. We're in defense mode. We're trying to protect each other while at the same time reaching out with the love of Christ to those that are still in need. And you want me to go to a man who could single-handedly end the church here in Damascus? He could imprison all of us. He could kill me. He could kill my family, kill all your followers. Imagine the things that were going through Ananias' mind as he responded to God. There's a lot of things to consider. He was a respected leader within the community of believers. But this, this task seems a bit much. What would you have done? Would you have hidden behind that mask, pulled it up just a little bit farther? Would you have let the threats that were coming force you to remain silent? A lot of people today are. Would you have acted on the direction of God or allowed fear to silence you? See, in the world in which we live, many Christians all over the world literally face this exact situation. And as persecution begins to arise literally everywhere on earth, we now have a decision to make. Will we go out with our masks on and proclaim the name of Jesus in whatever way we can? Or will we let those that want to rid the world of Christianity, and those people are real, folks, and they exist right here. You don't have to go to a foreign country to find them. There's a lot at stake. When you take a look at the mask Ananias was wearing, would you have hidden behind it? You see, because no one would have blamed him, really. If he did, it makes sense. Look at the risk he would have to take in order to act on what God wanted him to do. Or would he submit instead of hiding behind the mask? He would use that mask as a banner to go and proclaim the word of God that he's about to undertake, the work of God that he's about to undertake. So what's specifically at stake? Well, there's two sides to this coin for Ananias, and I want to lay them clearly out to you. On one side of the coin is his life, (laughs) literally. The lives of his family potentially the lives of his friends, fellow Christians in Damascus, as well as the potential of when this event happened as Saul came to Damascus and the word spread of what Saul did in Damascus to the church. Well, of course, that would spread to other towns and other cities because Saul would then just continue on to the next town to continue destroying the way as it was called until once and for all it was gone and the name of Jesus was erased from the world. That's one side of the coin. What's on the other side? Well, the stakes are huge. For sure. What's at stake if Ananias didn't honor Jesus in his request? Well, Jesus had just said that Saul 
is going to be his chosen instrument to carry his name, the gospel, before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So if he doesn't go to Saul, then his lack of action could stop the spread of the gospel and prevent it from ever reaching the Gentile world. (laughs) That's a tough choice. That's a tough choice. Now, we already know the outcome. I already read it to you. Ananias overcame the fear of potential death, and he went. He went to Saul. Now, I doubt that he walked down the street. Imagine this. He's got a poster board walking down the street. I am going to to Judas' house on Straight Street to convert Saul of Tarsus to the way. Do you think he was carrying that billboard with him? I do not. I, I really do not think so. As a matter of fact, probably even while talking with Saul, remember Saul's blind? He probably kept that mask on to kind of conceal just a little bit of his identity, not knowing exactly how Saul might respond. But in the end, he carried out the task. And the miracle was performed. And he began to share with Saul the full gospel. And he gave him some food. And it was likely Ananias who baptized Saul of Tarsus, the Saul of Tarsus. And it says that Saul spent several days with the disciples in in Damascus, one of which was probably Ananias himself. So then what happens, right? Ananias goes on to become this big, famous spiritual leader within the church because of this incredible task that he performed, right? It was a monumental task. His name was now associated with bravery to the kingdom of God for all eternity, right? Not at all. There's some church traditions and legends and things like that, but there's nothing in Scripture that tell us what happened to Ananias. He's only mentioned the one other time, which I already read to you. We really don't know what happened to him, but there is a great lesson for all of us to heard. How many of you have ever read, Paul wrote so much in the New Testament, how many of you have ever read Paul's words and said, man, I could never be that kind of follower of Christ. Like, there's, there's just no way I could ever be like Paul. Paul. Just confess right now. Who's ever thought that? Like, he was just crazy amazing. Yeah, it's true. It's hard to look at that example. Like, I could never be that. So what, you're just not going to follow Christ because you can't be like Paul? Well, there's a great lesson. We can't all become like Paul, but every single one of us is called to be like Ananias. We aren't all going to be the one out front. We aren't all going to be one the one leading the crowd. We aren't all going to be the one that's recognized for the impact that we as individuals have as we live and move amongst the, as believers within a world of non-believers. We are meant to push back the darkness and bring light one interaction at a time. We are meant to constantly be looking and looking and looking with expectation for where the sovereign hand of God is positioning us in our world. And in doing so, now what we have to consider is we have to approach every single human interaction that we have, no matter how common or how ordinary it might seem, with the same words that Ananias did. Here I am, Lord. When the world is forcing us to mask up, here's my challenge to you. I want you you to do two simple, simple things. They will not be hard to remember. Number one, when you put that mask on, pray specifically that God will guide your words. That his spirit will be alive and well in the words that you choose to use as you go out into public. And number two, that God will give you an opportunity each and every time you mask up and interact with anybody to share his love with someone. 
anyone. Listen for his prompting like Ananias did. See, there's another factor here that we didn't consider, and that was Saul. Saul was blind. If you all of a sudden were struck blind after seeing your whole life, you would be scared. I don't care who you are. You would be fearful in that moment. But you also must add another layer. Saul is entering into enemy territory. The people knew he was coming. He is coming to destroy them. He has the paperwork in hand to destroy them. Now he is going to them blind, helpless. He's turning himself into the enemy as a blind, helpless individual. Do you think maybe he was just a little scared? He is at the mercy of the very people he came to persecute. As we get out of our cars, and we head into Kroger, or we head into Walmart, or we head into our office, or we head into our schools, will we meet all of those that are hiding behind those masks, who are, un- uh, who are afraid, who are uncertain, who are hopeless? Will we, like Ananias, use our words and our actions to go and help free them from those things they're hiding behind? Because here's the reality. Behind every mask you see is someone that God loves. Take it a step further. Behind every mask that you see is literally someone who God sent his son Jesus to die for. I challenge you this week, today, as you see others in masks, to no longer look at the mask and be riled up by this thing or that thing in society, but instead to look at it as an opportunity, one, for God to heal our tongues, and for two, as an opportunity to begin to use our words to heal those behind the mask. Father God, as we come before you this morning, dealing with, uh, uh, it's unpleasant, but uh, it's, it's just reality. Father, it's the world in which we live. It's what we've been asked to do, right or wrong, that, that's irrelevant. Father, you can give us these moments in life and you can teach us. Father, we can glean from you in these moments, instead of doing what we've all done, we've all complained, we, we've all done things. But Father, how many of us have used this mask as a symbol, first and foremost, to heal our broken relationships with you, to strengthen our relationship with you, to begin to heal our words, to censor our own mouths so that what comes out is full of glory and honor in your name. Words that's full of power and healing for others. I pray that we consider that and, and I pray as we walk about and we see others with those masks on that every one we see, every time from now until the time you take us home, when we see a mask, we think behind that mask is someone. Behind that mask is someone that you died for. I wonder if they know that. Let that be our call to action, not just this week, but Father, the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.